Hello and welcome back to SEMA's podcast, Y'all Ready for This, where we talk about all things emergency preparedness to make sure that you and your family are ready for any type of natural or man-made disaster right here in Chatham County. This week, we are taking a deep dive into the man-made disasters and we are talking about cybersecurity. Um, My co-host this week is none other than Aaron Thompson. You guys love Aaron. He is back. He's still in the basement. He still has a Lego head. Aaron, welcome back. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Guys, as a reminder, he is our operations guru, technology, always stuck doing web EOC things, all kinds of random things Aaron gets gets thrown into. So we're very excited to have you back. And yes, we have a brand new person joining us today on the podcast, and that is Scott Craig, webmaster for Chatham County, but also a cybersecurity extraordinaire. Scott, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Chelsea. So you guys, in the past, you've also heard about our ESF-15 team. Scott serves on the night shift of our ESF-15 team and actually handles all of our social media. So if you're ever feeling a 2 a.m. troll, you are going to be talking to Scott. So just keep that in mind. Just know that you are being handled by one of the best. So (laughs) if you ever feel so inclined, um, (laughs) that's who you're going to be talking to. I like to put a face to the behind the computer screen so people are less likely to want to troll us but now you know day shift night shift there you go you got us yeah. all right all day are... shift all you want yeah oh yeah thanks scott i appreciate it, appreciate it. <laughs> all right well let's let's talk cybersecurity some and and some people might have a little bit of misconception about what we mean by cybersecurity. By this, we're just talking about how you can generally be safer on the internet. There's so many different things that people just don't pay attention to, myself included. As I started doing research of questions for this podcast, I was like, what? I do that all the time. Um, So we're going to talk about that and we're going to see what we can all do just a little bit better to be a little bit more safe. So let's talk first about passwords. Everything is password protected these days. I mean, you can't even log into your, your computer, your phone, anything without having a password likely protecting it. Scott, what are some ways that we can create safe and the most important memorable passwords um, and be effective in that? Well, you know, a lot of people have this misconception uh, because of some things that um, the government put out about 10 years ago now. Uh, that says that passwords should be this complex um, system of numbers, letters, uppercase, lowercase, all that stuff. And while that used to work, it's, it's no longer the case. Uh, a computer can crack a password with numbers and symbols almost as fast as it can with just letters. So those don't really work, uh, but that's good for us, right? So uh, when you're creating your passwords, uh, the new thing they're using is what they call passphrases. And a passphrase is exactly what you think it is, right? So um, instead of, you know, one, six, five, asterisk, all that stuff, think of phrases. So maybe in a very simplistic manner, horse, dog, uh, car, whatever, you know, something like that. And while that seems stupid, you're, you're getting like 15 to 20 characters right there. And which is longer than most people's passwords. And the numbers game in security and cracking passwords is honestly length. The longer the length, uh, the better it is. 
And so that's what I try and get people to do is to think about longer passwords, not harder, because harder doesn't help you. It's going to, you might forget your password. And it also is going to make it easier on, on a computer, on a hacker to crack that password. So think longer, not harder. Um, but while you're doing that, one of the things you want to remember is don't personalize it. So, you know, if I have a dog named uh, Squeaky, like if I put dog, Squeaky, great boy, you know, that's, that's, it's still good, but if you know if, if you were trying to hack my password, you may know I have a dog named Squeaky, and it will be easier for you. So don't personalize your passwords, but make it still something you can remember. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Scott. And uh, you know, it's definitely important to to keep that character count up for sure. So that's that's really great. Um, we know that it's safe not to reuse passwords, and especially to use the same password across multiple different platforms. But how do we keep track of all of our different passwords in a, in a safe way? Right. So there's a lot of good programs out there um, called password managers. Uh, one called LastPass. There's another one called OnePassword. Um, they're available to the public for mostly free. They've got some paid versions too as well. But I'm not trying to suggest one over the other. There's tons of great ones out there. But what those allow you to do is you can put them on your PC and your phone. And when you create a password, uh, it'll do two things for you. Number one, it'll remember it for you. Um, and there is security behind it. I'm not gonna go into it. It's, but they've created these systems that allow those passwords to be stored in a secure manner that only you can access. Uh, they're even stored encrypted on their servers so that you know if somebody would try and hack that, that company, they still can't get your passwords, which makes it nice. But another feature of these programs also is that um, they can generate passwords for you, right? So if you don't feel like creating a passphrase every time, you can click a button, it'll generate a long password for you uh, based off of your, your parameters and store that password for you. And then it'll sync to your other devices. You know, some people don't like doing that because they're like, oh, my passwords are with somebody else. There's always a risk when you store it on in the cloud that there might be a problem, but these people are, are doing this for their careers. They know what they're doing. And generally, uh, even in the security industry, they're looked on as a good thing. If you don't like that, um, there is another way. A lot of companies, uh, actually, there was an article recently where Microsoft is completely getting rid of passwords for their online accounts. They're phasing them out. And what they're doing is a system called passwordless. Um, and basically, that system allows you to receive some kind of token. So you enter your username. And uh, Microsoft stores other information about you, whether that be an email or a phone number maybe. And what they'll do is they'll send you a one-time password to that method for you to log in. So if you don't like keeping your passwords, look for other options like that that uh, some companies may have as well. I think one of my biggest problems is that I let all of these, you know, Google Chrome or whomever remember my passwords, and then I just don't. And that I right. think it's awesome until you're on a different computer in front of all the staff at a staff meeting. They're like, hey, can you log into this? And then you can't. And yep. you're like, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. That's why passphrases are still, you know, I personally use a password manager, but I mean, passphrases are still the better of the options here. Yeah, so that you don't embarrass yourself in front of your friends. And right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really, that's a really good idea. 
Right, so we kind of talked about it a little bit about some information that the government sent out several years ago, but what are some other password creation methods that you want to avoid? Right, so um, short passwords definitely are just the number one de facto, you don't want to do it. Uh, you want to keep it over 12 to, 12 to 14 characters now. I, I think actually 14 is the official NIST recommendation now, um, which sounds long, but if you start doing your passphrases, it, it's not too bad. Um, Passwords that are hard to remember. Once again, going back to passphrases, if you can't remember it and you don't use a password manager, you're gonna to have to go back and reset your password every time, which isn't, isn't good for you. So try to make a password that's easy for you to remember, but hard, hard for hackers to get into. Um, passwords with patterns, right? So we kind of talked about the, don't use your own personal dog's name or whatever, right? But uh, don't use patterns either because there's a method in, in cracking passwords called frequency analysis. If I can isolate a pattern, which will repeat itself in the encryption, I can kind of know, okay, well, this, this part repeats itself twice, so it's probably the same word twice. So don't do pass or don't do patterns. And similarly, don't iterate on your passwords. Now I know tons of people like to do this, but you know, if your normal password is password one, two, don't do fall password one, two, and then when it's summer, do summer password one, two. Yes, I know there are a lot of people here that do that. But don't do that because once again, it, it goes over the same thing. Like if the hacker's trying to get into your account, parts of that, parts of the hash of your password will still show that pattern and they'll be able to kind of get an idea of what's going on. Yeah. What are we supposed to do when our IT department makes us change our password every 90 days? Use a password. Well, actually, we don't have password managers, but yeah, yeah. Use something uh, unique. Yes. I'm just well, not creative enough for this. I, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. That's where those password creator apps come in here. Yeah, exactly. That's what I use. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about cookies. And I'm not talking about food here. I'm talking about in an internet browser. Can you tell us what cookies are and what role they have? in your browser. Yeah, so cookies started out as, as a way for um, web servers to remember information because since when you're using a website, it's obviously not on your PC like you know your Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel are. So they needed a way to remember things. If, you know, remember who you are so that when you click the next page, it still knows that you're Aaron. Um, so it, it started out as a very innocuous thing. Uh, which was great, but now there's ways to use them for nefarious purposes. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have said, man, I talked to Alexa the other day and asked her the price of salt, and now I'm getting ads for salt. I'm like, how does, people are like, how does that happen? Well, it's these cookies that do that, right? So like, when you do that on Alexa, your account remembers that. And so when you go to your browser, that cookie can be transferred to your browser, and then everybody's offering you ads for salt. So they're both good and bad. They're required for a lot of things. A lot of the stuff we do day to day requires those things, but they can also be used for nefarious things, including hackers getting into your accounts and stuff like that. So it's, it's a catch 22. Hmm. I've never felt so betrayed by cookies. I know. I love cookies too, but they, they're bad for your belly and they're bad for, you know, advertising. Yeah. The audacity to say that cookies I, are bad for you. Stop. I know. I'm sorry. 
I'm fixing to end this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So we now know that Alexa is selling all of her stuff through cookies. Um, maybe she's just like a Girl Scout and she's doing her best effort there. Um, but yeah, a lot of places are now picking up on this idea that your information is kind of being around and they're starting to look at identity theft programs and how do you protect your identity? Um, and there are even some policies that are out there that are trying to help do this. Um, what are a couple of ways that people can better protect their identity if this is a concern of theirs? Right, I think the biggest thing is don't give out any personal information that you need to. You know, we're, we're very much a trusting uh, society, right? So. When somebody calls me and says, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm Scott. You know, while our name's not not necessarily, you know, bad, but they'll be like, you know, there was this one skit I saw, uh, I can't remember where, but it was on YouTube and it was funny as, as all get out because what the guy did was he went up to somebody and was like, hi, you know, what's your name? He goes, uh, you know, so do you have any pets, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And he went through this whole spiel and got their entire password because they used something like their dog's name plus the year they graduated. And he got all of this information from a conversation you and I might have you know, day to day. So while that information, you know, when I'm talking to you, you know, I, I, you're my friend, so I'll give you information and stuff like that. But if you don't know the person, don't just be like, hey, this is whatever, you know, so don't overshare. Um, another important thing is uh, when, a lot of people, especially seniors right now, are getting targeted by these calls that say, oh, this is the IRS and you're going to go to jail if you don't pay this amount, which is despicable, but it can be prevented. Um, so if the IRS, number one, the IRS isn't going to call you. If any of you don't know that out there, the IRS is not going to call you like that, right? And so, Very good point. Uh, but if somebody would call you and you think they're legitimate, like let, let's say it's a Savannah number and your doctor calls you, right? And they say, well, what's your social? No, I'm, I'm not going to give that to you. You know, or what, what's your date of birth? Date of birth is a little less innocuous or a little more innocuous, but still be careful what you give out. If you don't know for sure it's that person, tell them, I'm going to call you back. Hang up and call the number you have for that person. Um, or, it, you know, if give them only the information that's required. And some other stuff you can do. Uh, when you get your mail, I know a lot of people are like, well, I shred everything. You don't have to shred everything, but you know, if you get a bank statement and you're planning on putting that in your trash, shred it. Uh, if you have a credit card statement, shred it. Because that little pieces of that information can get into a, a lot bigger deal. Um, don't over, uh, we've talked about oversharing, but don't also overshare online. Uh, and we'll, I think I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but Basically, same, same rules apply when you're talking online or on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, don't overshare um, there either. Yeah, Scott, you made a really good point about uh, you know, the conversation and getting into you know, your pet's name and the year you graduated. And that brought up to me, you know, a lot of websites have security questions. And the answers to those are you know, your security questions. And so if right. you start having those conversations with people, they don't even need your password. They can just reset it on their own, whatever they yes, want to do. So exactly. That's a really good point. Exactly. Um, one of the things that uh, people are, you know, doing these days and, and even more and more is, is looking for ways to kind of shorten everything, make it easier to read, 
easier to understand. And uh, something that's become very popular is tiny URLs or compressed URLs. Can you talk about that? And, yeah. Those, should we be scared of those? Um, yes and no. I mean, tiny URLs are there for, for good purposes, you know, so you don't have to type out, you know, chelmcountyga.gov slash, you know, whatever, or whatever. Uh, it, it helps with that, but it can link you to malicious sites, which goes into a bigger issue, right? So when you click on a link, you want to make sure it's going to where you think it's going to take you. A lot of sites now understand we're on smaller devices. And um, what they'll end up doing is they'll, they'll reserve a domain name that's maybe microsoft.com.xyz.net or something like that. And they know you're on a smaller screen. And so that xyz.net might not show. So you might think you're on Microsoft's site when you're really not. And link shorteners can make you think it really took you to a, a Microsoft site. So when you're clicking on those things, make sure you're, you know where you're at. Make sure it's the right site. Look in the URL browser, URL bar on the top of your browser on, or on your phone. Make sure you know where you're going. Um, if you're really paranoid, there are URL unshorteners. There are services that basically take those shortener services and unshorten the, the link for you. So you can pop them in there. It'll give you the full link it's going to take you to. So you, if you're really worried about one, you can always pop one in there and, and see where it's going to take you. So Aaron's question is kind of getting to my next one and a, a little preview of what you did earlier with social media. One, there are forever, my mom is the worst of like, I took this survey on Facebook and it, it had all this really cute information like Tulsa, you need to fill it out. I'm like, mom. You just said your mother's maiden name. Like, it's always like the ridiculous ones. Like, find out your your pioneer name or something. Like, ridiculous. Right. Um, and everybody's into it. Or the 10-year challenge. Can you talk about ways that people can better protect themselves on their personal social media sites? Sure. Um, first, actually, I'll talk about what you just talked about. So many people don't know this. So if anybody has heard about the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which people have called the Facebook scandal, but it's not really that. What happened there was people were using those applications that say, find out your, your pet type, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But what they don't know is behind the scenes on that, when you click the accept button, you're actually giving them permission to see your friends, uh, your posts sometimes and stuff like that. And People may be like, oh, that's okay. I don't have anything to hide in there. But basically, long story short, Cambridge Analytica ended up taking all of that information, aggregating it into a database, and then forming profiles of people that we wouldn't even be able to access based off of their, their profiles. They would compile their likes, their dislikes, and all that stuff. So be careful when you're using <clears throat> applications like that on Facebook and make sure when you click that, accept button that you know what you're going to give to that application. It's not necessarily malicious. Cambridge Analytica got in trouble and they're, they're no longer in business, but uh, there may be other companies that are trying to do that, which is innocuous in and of itself, but uh, it ends up being very bad for us as consumers. Um, as we said earlier, don't overshare. Um, one of the, the biggest things I see people do is they're excited for their vacation, right? And they're like, I'm going to Key West in two weeks. That's great, and it's great for your friends to know that, but now everybody, depending on the privacy settings of your Facebook profile, now everybody knows you're not gonna be home in two weeks. So you might get robbed, you might, whatever. I'm not saying you will, but 
you know, there's always that that danger of something happening if you overshare. Uh, you can always share afterwards, you know, everybody's got their pictures and stuff like that. Hey, I had a great time in QS, blah, blah, blah. It's not, not necessarily a problem. Um, but so don't overshare and also don't give any identifying information. Uh, it's online, it's gonna be there forever. Um, don't, don't give your address, your, your, any private information, social bank number, anything like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really great, Scott. One, one thing that kind of brings up is, you know, what are some best practices for just kind of general home security, home computer security? Sure. Um, there's different levels everybody can go to, but for basics, I mean, you definitely want to have an antivirus. The nice thing is Windows now ships with uh, Windows Defender, which actually has become one of the best uh, antiviruses that, that's out there right now. It doesn't bog down your computer or stuff like that, but make sure that's enabled. Um, you don't necessarily have to go out and purchase a whole new suite or anything. Windows has a great product. Just make sure it's enabled. Um, another thing is don't download programs unless it's from a trusted site. I recently had a, a family member, uh, her drivers were out of date and she went to this site. I, I, I don't know what it was exactly, but it was like, we can update all of your drivers for you. Well, that sounds great to non-techie people, but honestly what that's doing is generally those programs either have spyware in them or are malicious in and of themselves. So make sure you're going to trusted sites. If you're downloading things, Make sure you download from people you know, Microsoft, you know, your, your actual company that you're getting your products from. Um, and on the similar vein, don't go to sites that look fishy. If you think it looks fishy, make sure you check with somebody that may know a little bit more than you on that. Um, it's best to not go to it if it looks weird to you. Um, another thing, a lot of people and this isn't necessarily against hackers or anything, but um, make sure you either make backups or use a service like OneDrive, Dropbox, or Google Drive. And what that does for you though, is like, if you have a computer that has all these photos on there or all your important documentation, and all of a sudden your computer dies, if your hard drive can't be recovered, you wanna make sure you have the, uh, space for that to be recovered. So having those in those services allows you to not worry about that even if your computer would die. Um, and lastly, I know this was a long one, but <laughs> lastly, uh, make sure if you have devices that are on your network that aren't PCs or phones, like if you have a, your door that is connected or something like that, so you can open it with your phone, um, make sure you, you watch out for that. If you have too many of those, those can sometimes be manipulated. I mean, I have them, so I'm not saying they're completely bad, um, but just make sure you, you understand what you're getting yourself into when you, when you get those devices. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I'm glad you brought that up, Scott. Sorry to kind of jump in here before your turn yeah, to ask question, Kelsey. But, you know, some people are, are kind of taken to having a separate network just for those connected devices, right? Right. Not, you're not giving access to your PC if someone were to get access to those, you know, your door, or the smart lights or things like that. That's Absolutely. definitely something to, that I encourage people to consider. Absolutely. I knew it was bound to happen at some point, Aaron, where you would get so excited about something that you would have yeah. to jump in. I, I got to do it. Was. You know, my, my dad has, I cannot tell you how many of these like smart lights. <laughs> so he's got the door thing and he's got one to open his garage, you know, and uh, just, and, and in, in his case, it just bogs everything down because there's so many devices connected to the network. And I'm like, right. got to put this on a separate network. And it, it's, and yep. it's really important from a security standpoint as well. So, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I feel you on that. All right. Well, we have all, and I mean everyone, I think, in Chatham County has gotten a phone call within the last six months to a year about our car's extended warranty. <laughs> um, so I think that one everybody is well aware of. But some of these other scam phone calls and emails that come in, it can be a little bit challenging to decipher what's real and what's not, especially if they almost clone phone numbers or email addresses. That literally happened to me when I thought my grandma called me and it was a scammer with my grandmother's phone number. And she's like, I did not call you. And I was like, oops. Um, (laughs) How do you start to tell these apart, Scott? Can you give us any advice to our listeners of of what they can look out for or things that we can do to better protect ourselves? Yeah, for phone calls, it it goes back to kind of what we said before. Just, Just use some common sense, you know, uh, Microsoft's not going to call you. IRS isn't going to call you. Um, so if it, if it's weird, if you think it's legit, tell them you'll call them back. If they're really legit, they're not going to be mad at you for that. Um, they'll have a way for you to get in contact with them. Um, so if you're always concerned, do that. Uh, just, just think. And the same thing goes with emails. Think before you click on anything in an email. Go through it. it um, there's some, we're actually going to be putting out, uh, I think externally as well. So I think your listeners will be able to see this as well. Uh, some, some red flags for phishing emails, but just look at the email. If it has uh, bad spelling or if it has weird grammar or um, things don't look right, maybe an image is off center or something like that. Uh, just look for things that might be key indicators and then don't, don't necessarily click on it. Uh, the best option is like if you get an email from your bank saying you withdrew four hundred dollars, you know, go to your bank manually. You know your bank's website because you go there a lot. So instead of clicking on the link, go to your bank's website, log in, and see if that's true. Uh, which is always safer than clicking the link. It's not necessarily as easy or as convenient, but it definitely will save you in the long run. Um, also, a, a key indicator: if the email causes a knee-jerk reaction, think about it twice because generally emails aren't gonna be urgent. If they really need to get in contact with you, they're gonna call you or, or try and reach you other ways. Um, that's not necessarily always true, but if it's a knee jerk reaction, if you're like, oh my goodness, I need to deal with this right now, double think about it, see if, it, if it's gonna be real. Um, and another thing we, we often, uh, often people get worried about all kinds of emails now, because we're always like phishing emails are bad, which they are. But uh, there's two types of emails really, right? So there's spam and there's phishing. Spam is just the annoying stuff you get just like your junk mail, um, which isn't necessarily harmful to you. Annoying, yes, but not harmful, um, which you don't really have to worry about. You, you can report it if you want to, but it's not gonna really hurt you. You just ignore it like you do your, your regular mail. Uh, but phishing emails definitely need to be dealt with. And uh, you know, if you're at work, please report them to your IT department. Uh, if you're at home, there's not much you can do about it, but just remember uh, next time to, to check that email. Think before you click. Think yes. You click those links for sure. Exactly. There you go. Aaron with like the one liner there. I love it. <laughs> Great way to wrap us up, Scott. That was incredible. I think this is probably one of the most informative podcasts that we've had the opportunity to do. And I feel like a lot of times SEMA has a tendency in these podcasts to think natural disasters and, you know, wind and things that we can't control, man-made disasters, like especially cybersecurity threats. We have the ability to 
to protect ourselves. So let's Absolutely. take some of these uh, tips that Scott has provided and Aaron has provided. He turned co-host slash subject matter expert, um, but take some of this you know to heart. And I hope that it really does help you know, potentially save somebody from having to deal with a whole headache if they were to get hacked or have some significant challenges. Scott, anything else for the good of the group? No, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope this helps uh, people stay safer. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron, anything else? Absolutely. You know, I just piggyback on what you said just a second ago, you know, a lot of times we have a, a tendency to focus on those big things, you know, those hurricanes and tornadoes and um, this kind of stuff here that we're talking about today is much more likely to affect, you know, the people of Chatham County um, than a hurricane or a tornado or anything like that ever is. So, you know, this is really good information and I'm glad we were able to put this together. Gosh, that was beautiful, Aaron. All right, I'm not going to say anything else about that. All right, listeners, be sure to tune in next week as we are going to be talking about the annual Faith-Based Emergency Preparedness Summit. We're going to be giving just a little bit of information about how you can better protect your house of worship. You are a member of a house of worship within our community. There's also going to be a Faith-Based Emergency Preparedness Summit on October 29th. So check out details for that on our website or on our social media pages. Until next time, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you then. 